the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Get ready to take notes because school is now in session. Tackling the biggest issues in education, this is Education America. Save the classroom, save the country. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Mark Durkin. And welcome to Education America, where we are taking steps to save the classroom so that we can save the country. Come along with us every Saturday night here on AM 1280 The Patriot. K-12 education is the playing field. And as the 16th president, Abraham Lincoln, so rightly stated, he said the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. I'm Mark Durkin, and again, I'm joined by my co-host and founder of Liberty Classical Academy, Rebecca Hagstrom. Good to see you again. Good to see you again. Absolutely. Another exciting show. And we're in the month of October already. I know. The time's flying. It's just so fast. It is. I can't believe how fast it goes. Absolutely. Well, we have been speaking quite a bit over the last year of the basis of critical race theory and how it's an attempt to forever link racial identity with America's history. And while its advocates argue that CRT interprets how racism is embedded in our institutions— School families here in Minnesota and across the country are taking notice of how the free exchange of ideas in the classroom, they're being eradicated. So our guest tonight joins us again, and she's here to tell us that when schools teach racial equity, kids, they're learning fear and anger. Mm -hmm. That's so true. And uh, joining us again in studio tonight to address the dangers associated with the nation's K-12 schools approach to equity is Catherine Kirsten. Catherine is a senior policy fellow at the Center of the American Experiment. And she's also a writer, attorney, and has served as a Metro columnist for the Star Tribune from 2005 to 2008. She has also served as an opinion columnist for the paper between 1996 and 2013. Catherine was a founding director of the Center of the American Experiment and served as its chair from 1996 to 1998. Catherine, we're so glad to have you back. Thank you again for joining us here on Education America. It's great to be with you. Well, we're going to jump right into this book. Um, the authors of the book, Coddling of the American Mind, um, they cite an ongoing cult of safetyism as a major reason for the growing mental health crisis. Can you explain for us what that means? The, the, the cult of safetyism, yes. Um, it's Well, I guess it, it comes down to... Oh, one of what they, they call the three great untruths that promote this worldview. And, and that is that children are fragile. Children are incredibly fragile. Their lives can be blighted by the smallest things that cause them any, any uh, kind of, of uh, 
concern or that uh, that challenge them in ways that make them uncomfortable. Uh, for example, going to a, a, a school that is named after um, Alexander Ramsey, the first uh, territorial governor here in, in Minnesota, you know, some Native American activist now, and I will say he was a bad man, but that going to that school or reading a Dr. Seuss book that some people might regard as racist, that these, that these are, are challenges that, that can debilitate young people and they must be protected from, from this and anything else of the kind that makes them uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think back to um, actually when we first did our show, um, I think six years ago it was when our so- show began, um, it was just becoming a fad for colleges to have safe spaces. And um, that was the first time I had heard this notion of safetyism, even though I had been sensing it for a long time. Like I said on last week's show, um, Susanna Hoff Summer's book came out over 20 years ago, I believe, and, and she really pointed to a lot of that then. Um, but do you think that this notion of safetyism has kind of grown out of the colleges really initiating that? Or where do you think that this really originated from? I'm kind of throwing this question at you out of left field. Sorry. (laughs) A huge, a huge topic. Um, Yeah. I think, uh, yes, I mean, almost everything bad in my view today (laughs) is coming from higher education. You know, supposedly the smartest people who who lack common sense in, you know, shocking ways. But, you know, I think a major source of this is um, the the growth of the therapeutic culture and mindset that Mm -hmm. life is about nothing more than feeling good Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and, um, and, and sort of Getting what you want, uh, mm-hmm. easy, easy life. I mean, mm-hmm. the notion of sin, for example, is just anathema in the therapeutic mm-hmm. mindset. The idea that you might be challenged, that you might mm-hmm. be change your ways. No, no, no. You know that totally <laughs> upsets your equilibrium, and and the, the purpose of life uh, is defeated uh, if you ever feel bad about yeah. anything. Yeah, not uh, not realistic, we might say. Right, not realistic. But that is, I'm so glad that you mentioned all of these things because I really, I do think people wonder where did this come from. E- even as, sure. a, even as some of us, I think all parents are guilty of some of this at some point in their lives with their children, trying to protect them from the evils of the world. But um, <clears throat> it is interesting to look at where you know where this originated and. Yes. You're right. The higher education piece is, it has a large, a large um, role to play in how we ended up where we did today. Yep. Yeah. Um, well, you mentioned the first, the fact that there were these three great untruths that the mm-hmm. authors cited, um, <clears throat> and that you kind of talked about the first truth already. The truth of, um, I think, fragility is the very first truth. Is that right? Is that the first one? Fragility is the first truth in the book, yeah. Yes, okay. And um, <clears throat> they talk a little bit about how life is a battle between good people and evil people. Right. And um, you didn't really touch on that piece of it. Um, what I remember from the book is they mentioned how that dichotomy, um, it seems, is is purposed so much in our culture today that there's no in-between, that people have to be viewed as either they're on the good side 
the right side or they're bad and they're on the wrong side. Um, yes. And there's no in between. And right. um, that notion, you know, think about maybe you could comment on that really quick as to what that does then to our culture. Um, if there's really only one right, one wrong, um, and there's nothing in between, what does that what does that do? Well, uh, of course, this is the, the, the fundamentally uh, culturally Marxist idea. It, it is the fundamental tenet of Marxism that uh, that that there are there are the oppressors and there are the oppressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, human life uh, revolves around that dichotomy. And of course, the people pushing this, but they're the good guys. Mm-hmm. The rest of us are victims of false consciousness, bad guys, mm-hmm. um, etc. But Haidt uh, and Lukianov are just, I think, have such an interesting take on that because they say that although this is supposedly about uh, improving racial harmony and all, it, it has the opposite effect. They say, and I'm quoting here, if someone wanted to create an environment of perpetual anger and intergroup conflict, this would be an effective way to do it. Mm. And they they point to uh, brain science, uh, Mm -hmm. and they talk about how human beings are hardwired for an us versus them mentality, for kind of tribalism, and just Mm -hmm. kind of Mm -hmm. survival over thousands of years. Mm -hmm. And what they say is that this equity theory activates the uh, the tribal switch that all of us have mm-hmm. and creates and heightens these intergroup tensions. Mm-hmm. It just puts such pressure on people to dehumanize opposing groups. I mean, just think about mm-hmm. uh, the World War II. You know, mm-hmm. immediately uh, people move toward the notion of the Huns. And, yes. you know, you see these people with, with evil sneers and, and horns and their hands. That, that's what we do in mm-hmm. order to, mm-hmm. to help us fight more effectively, simplify in that way. Yeah. And what I looking at are saying is this, this is happening in our in our schools and in our in our culture mm-hmm. now on, on so many levels. Yeah. Yeah, so well said. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, let's pivot here just a little bit to the the second uh, great untruth that the uh, authors uh, cite, and that's the emotional reasoning reasoning piece yeah. of this. Never question your feelings. You know what's an example of this great untruth, and what are the dangers associated with negative emotions if they're not, as you say, not subjected to uh, reasoned analysis? Well, this this would um, flow from the the, the uh, therapeutic culture that that we're now engulfed in. I think it's everything is about feeling. Nothing is about mm-hmm. thinking. Uh, you, know, you you are a good person if you are quote committed to uh, you know a, a political activism of of some kind. Doesn't matter mm-hmm. what what it is, right? Whether it's right or wrong. It, yeah, whether it's right or wrong. Um, so so this idea um, is that, that instead of asking kids who who might um, feel personally threatened by someone whose views are different, instead of asking them to sit down and logically work through uh, the pros and cons of the various ideas that are being put forward, uh, quite the opposite is mm-hmm. being urged on kids. They should go with their gut feelings, whatever emotions they might feel, and they're being coached, by the way, that anything that differs from their supposed worldview is a a direct threat to their identity. Mm -hmm. But what what the authors say, and I had never really thought about this, they bring in 
again, sort of social psychology and brain science. And they say that when you teach children uh, to to view the world uh, entirely through their their feelings, um, you are amping up uh, what they call cognitive distortions in the way these kids' minds work. They say feelings are not a reliable guide to reality. Mm-hmm. So when you when you create these cognitive distortions, there are things like negative filtering. That mm-hmm. means training your mind to only focus on the bad things, or what they call hostile attribution bias, where you see hostile motives uh, where there are none. Mm-hmm. So that, again, the world is, is completely black and white in terms of, of simple and and one-dimensional, and we completely miss the the richness and complexity of human life. Mm-hmm. 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 And then there's a third great untruth that we uh, touched on briefly earlier on, and that you've written extensively about, and that is young people are so fragile that they must be sheltered from any experience that feels emotionally unsafe. We touched on this a little bit on the fragility piece. Is there anything more you can add to that? Well, I one thing I thought was so interesting here. Again, this is the kind of social science that they that they bring into this debate. They they start out um, talking about peanut allergies, right, oh, Rebecca? Yes, I remember this story. Yes, such a fascinating thing. Yes. They say that what you know, twenty five years ago, uh, doctors were saying, well. You know, we have to keep kids, little kids, two, three-year-old kids from peanuts uh, because we have to make sure they don't, you know, that they're not endangered, uh, you know, at this young age by what mm-hmm. could become an out. Well, it, it, this actually had the opposite effect. They, they, scientists found that kids who were shielded from any exposure to to peanuts actually were much more likely to develop peanut right. allergies because they they didn't um, they, they, their, their systems weren't accustomed right. to, to dealing with this you know mm-hmm. potential outside mm-hmm. threat mm-hmm. and so they become more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought that was just such an interesting was... um, intro because what what they're really saying is kids' <clears throat> muscles need challenges and. Dressers. That's why, you know, football players do mm-hmm. <laughs> push-ups, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It makes you stronger. It doesn't make you weaker. Uh, so, so that's what they're saying. We are withholding these kinds of stressors and challenges that make us stronger uh, from our kids. And as a result, they are becoming weaker and more fearful and less mm-hmm. resilient, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was a great opening story as well. And it was interesting because... You know, again, as a school leader, it's true. Like when I was young growing up, I don't remember ever hearing about peanut allergies. You know, we had peanut butter in schools all the time. And right. and now as a school leader, you know, we we don't have a lot of kids with peanut allergies, but we do have a few. And <clears throat> I, I, I hadn't ever considered that that was maybe how it had originated. And, and they're saying that now as people are reintroducing it a little bit more, that the number of allergies are actually going down. Exactly. Exactly. So, well, what damage, Catherine, do you think will come to children? And we're actually already seeing some of this who are taught that failures, insults and painful experiences will produce lasting damage in their lives. Well, you know, this is is related to what we have have just um, talked about. Teach, you just think about um, what I used to hear, and I'm sure what you used to hear from your parents when you were young, when, when someone said a mean thing to you, this notion of sticks and stones can break my bones, right. but words can never 
hurt me. I, I, you you go, grow stronger. You, you don't acquiesce in handing power over your mental state mm-hmm. to some third person if you can look at the world that way. Mm-hmm. Um, these racial equity programs, uh, the cult of safetyism generally, do exactly the opposite. Mm-hmm. So uh, the result, say these authors, is that... Um, Keeping, keeping kids uh, in, in a fragile kind of state of mind actually renders them much more easily hurt, you know, unreasonably fearful of the world and, mm-hmm. and um, unable to take control uh, or, or to take responsibility for mm-hmm. uh, their own behaviors and seeing themselves as, as victims. And mm-hmm. what a terrible way to create a helpless uh, adult. Yeah. Oh, that is such a good point, Catherine. And we wonder why we're seeing anxiety on the rise amongst our nation's children. And so not only, though, is anxiety a result of this, but I like how you talk about the lack of control over their own world that that gives them if they're in such a state of fragility. Here's a a wonderful kind of um, uh, way to to understand that Uh, Viktor Frankl uh, was a, uh, a Nazi. Uh, he, he was placed in a, in a concentration camp mm-hmm. uh, during the Second World War. He was a, a psychiatrist, as I recall. And he said that um, he realized in the concentration camp that the, that the most important kind of uh, intellectual and, and mental, spiritual tool that we have is that we can decide how we are going to react to mm. a situation, mm. especially a terrible situation yeah. like this. Yeah. So he felt that he had this power over uh, his own mental state in his life as, as a concentration camp inmate uh, wow. because he could stand outside of it. He had this kind of self-control uh, and, and self-awareness. That's exactly what we are we are uh, keeping our kids from mm-hmm. developing. We are mm-hmm. telling them that if, if somebody, you know, it, it has microaggression against you, oh my gosh, your life is over. <laughs> you know, you got to sue, you got to right. you collapse, you have to have, you know, the vapors to revive your fainting spirit. That, that's ridiculous, but yeah. that's exactly how we are hobbling our kids today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I've noticed just in watching some of the videos of you've probably seen them yourself you know on twitter of people who videotape situations i just saw one last night actually that's why it's fresh on my mind of two white young college students studying in a multicultural center and two other we don't i don't know the race of those that were approaching them but two women who came and just started railing on them because one of them had a sticker on his computer saying police lives matter and well, she must have been black because she said that's such an offense to me, you know, because police lives don't matter, and the, you know they're oppressive to me. And anyway, they these people were so angry and so mean to these two young men. Yeah. And um, you know, when they said, "Well, it's a multicultural space, and you know, white is a culture too," and they yelled back. You think white is a culture? White is not a culture. And you know, I just thought anger is another thing that comes from this. Oh, it's, you know, it's not oh, just anxiety and a lack of control, but it is anger. It's just becoming such an angry culture. It's just really hard to watch. Yes, mm-hmm. you, you are exactly, exactly right. And that's 
one of the many inconsistencies here. You know, people pushing this stuff uh, mm-hmm. like to hold themselves out as compassionate, empathetic. What yeah. no, you know, they <laughs> it's the opposite. At least, you know, the people running the show are are stoking anger. They are filled with resentment. Mm-hmm. They accuse uh, people who oppose them of quote hate. You know, if we want to see hatred, I think we can look at. Uh, some of the masterminds of these racial equity yes, programs. Yes, absolutely. So, let's pivot for a moment here, uh, Catherine. Let's put this book now in the hands of school teachers. What could they take away from this book? Well, um, I, I think uh, this is you know, comes straight from uh, uh, one of the lines in, in the book. Uh, the authors say to teachers, quote, if you encourage students to find more things offensive, leading them to experience more negative impacts. And you also tell them that whoever says or does things they find offensive is an aggressor who's committed acts of bigotry. You are fostering feelings of victimization, anger, and hopelessness mm-hmm. in your students. You are setting themselves, setting them up for a life of self-doubt and, and misery mm-hmm. uh, rather than you know, empowerment and racial harmony, which is what we're told this is all about. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is a great statement from that book. Boy, it's so true. Um, and I hope we can, you know, almost makes you want to, you know, send send uh, a copy of this book to every teacher friend that you know, and asking them. That's to take what the time this, to that's read. what our recovering wokester recommends. Is it really? Oh my goodness, yeah. that's great. That's great. Well, our listeners can think about that. If you have teachers in your family that uh, support this whole racial equity theory, um, you know, consider sending them this book. Yeah, good point. Well, the education of our children does begin at home. Um, What Mm -hmm. constructive things um, should parents be teaching the young people that then maybe hopefully schools can tie in with rather than contradicting them? (laughs) Well, when you say that, my first thought is the golden rule. Yeah, there you go. All of this, all of this could be tossed aside if if parents and schools would simply teach uh, that we should do unto others as we would have uh, done unto us. Don't yes. divide children or, or adults into racial groups or intersectional whatevers, uh, mm-hmm. but treat all people with dignity. Mm-hmm. Uh, look at everyone as an individual and then understand your responsibility for your behavior, mm-hmm. uh, choosing between right and wrong, and expect the same of others. Yeah. Uh, because that th- th- what, one thing that's missing in this whole worldview is the notion of personal responsibility. Right. Nobody's personally responsible because if, if you're black, you're determined to be a victim. <laughs> if you're white, you're determined to be a, an oppressor there. There's no room for free will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. It's just, it's yeah. just realism. It is. And even in the process of not being treated as you would like to be treated, we still have a responsibility in terms of how we react because much of yes. this is reactionary driven. Exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. That is so true. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to Catherine's point, I don't know that our schools are teaching the golden rule anymore. You know, that came, that was a statement that Jesus made. And, uh, you know, back in 62 and 63, when we removed prayer and Bible reading from our nation's public schools, slowly but surely, 
a lot of those remnants were eliminated. Eliminated, and, and now you've got teachers over the decades doing what's right in their own eyes, and yeah. this is what it has produced. Yeah, yeah. Or, or not even using the terms good and evil, right and wrong. Right. I mean, I'm sure, Rebecca, as a, as a school head, you know that so often we hear today, don't do that, that is not appropriate. Yes. <laughs> uh, no, that's wrong. Right. <laughs> Yes, it's very confusing. I have actually talked to our teachers about that um, over the course of the years to when you correct a child that's not being kind to someone, don't use the word nice. You know, don't do that because it's not nice. I'd, I'd rather hear you say, please don't treat your friend that way because it's not kind. And Jesus calls us to treat others the way you want to be treated yourself. So to finish the statement so that they know and, um, you know, our body of values reflects the golden rule, and thankfully our teachers are great about helping our students understand that. <laughs> yeah, to love Excellent. your neighbor as you love yourself. Exactly. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, as we've discussed, Catherine, uh, with you much over the last year, this obviously has all its roots in critical race theory. There are so many branches uh, that, that come straight <laughs> off of this, uh, this vine, unfortunately. When it comes <laughs> to CRT, mm-hmm. what are the five most concerning facts that families need to know about this, this theory? Well, um, uh, this is a good segue into recommending uh, uh, a a website called uh, rejectcrt.org, which is the creation of Californians... What's it called? Californians for Equal Rights Foundation. Mm -hmm. These are the people fighting, uh, um, basically, CRT and and the the whole notion behind uh, affirmative action, treating Mm -hmm. people differently, uh, simply on the basis of their skin color. So what, what they list um, is, number one, critical race theory is against equality, and mm-hmm. four, illegal race-based discrimination. Mm-hmm. Number two, critical race theory is against capitalism and for socialism, mm-hmm. and they, they back each one of these up with uh, quotations from founders of critical race theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, their third point is critical race theory is against traditional American values and based on Marxism, that is, the the cultural variety. Mm -hmm. Number four, uh, CRT is against teaching children that America is great. Mm -hmm. Uh, And four, on American illiberal values. And number five, CRT is against personal empowerment. And four, victimhood and disempowerment, Mm -hmm. just what we were talking about Mm -hmm. a moment ago. Mm -hmm. Those Those are five things. Mm -hmm. And they they are the undoing of our country if they're successful. Yes. You know, they really are. Yes. I noticed that they've got a quote from a man who came out of communist China, and he's so fearful. He recognizes what yeah. is happening here as what was happening yeah. during the Cultural Revolution. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. We're, we're running out of time here, but I want you to also address um, for our for our listeners um, from that same website, they talk about what families should be looking for and listening for in order to identify critical race theory, because if you ask a school directly, if they're teaching it, they'll say no, usually. Yeah. Um, so what are some of the terms that they should be listening for? Well, here, here are, are a few things. They say um, race and racism are usually front and center in these practices. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, secondly, they say 
that uh, kids are told that most of the bad things happening in our society are a result of uh, institutional or systemic racism. And uh, they're also called to engage in um, action, activism, Mm -hmm. in order to dismantle racism. And they make Mm -hmm. a very good point. This stuff masquerades under many names. So when you hear diversity, equity, and inclusion, when you hear Mm -hmm. anti-racism, when you hear racial sensitivity training, or even social-emotional learning, Mm -hmm. uh, anti-bias, culturally responsive practices, critical pedagogy, all this all of these are names that are used by people peddling this worldview. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad that we ended on this point because those terms that you just listed, they're everywhere. And yeah. um, it shows you how pervasive this critical theory has become. Um, yeah. Catherine, thank you for joining us these last two weeks. We always enjoy having you on. Yes, Catherine, thank you so you're, much. You're excellent, and you're always well-read and well-researched, <laughs> and we're just so appreciative. And we know you're going on a wonderful trip uh, to Europe for the next three weeks. You enjoy that trip. You deserve thank it. Thank you so much. All right. Good to be with you. Yeah, good to be with you. And uh, thank you to our listeners. If you want to listen to this podcast or any other podcast, please go to savetheclassroom.com. And you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great night. See you next week. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.